Hey guys, welcome to episode 137 of the JV Club with my guest, Marcy Cristani. I want to get some shout outs in here. I want to thank uh, from Twitter, I want to thank Andrew for your wonderful tweet and uh, Kayla for your mutual, your or sort of shared love of Emma Thompson. Very good to hear. Always glad to hear I have a Emma Thompson uh, fanatic kindred spirit out there. Uh, I want to thank, I just want to quickly thank um, all of the wonderful comments I get from um people who are tweeting about Cora. I don't feel like I acknowledge that enough. Maybe I don't on the podcast and uh, I do read them all and um, and I appreciate them so much. So I just wanted to throw that in there for those of you who are uh, Cora fans as well who listen to the podcast. I want to thank uh, Roberto for replacing his t-shirt. Roberto, um, thanks for representing the JV Club. I'm sorry that your washing machine destroyed your first one. Uh, I want to thank Nick. I can now name him by name because he posted on the JV Club Facebook page. Nick, yes, I did use your MASH uh category for Sarah Burns episode. It was a treat and I will um, continue to remember it. And uh, I want to thank PJ for uh, reminding me I need to check out Comic Book Girl 19. Um, guys, I'm in the thick of it. SF Sketchfest. you know it. I know it. It's happening. I hope you'll come and join in January slash February in San Francisco. You can visit sfsketchfest.com for more information. If you're interested in uh, JV Club t-shirt, that is, uh, I'm going to post some information about that on my website, JanetVarney.com. And if you're interested in Cora merchandise, that is already up on JanetVarney.com. And uh, I think that's it, guys. Uh, have a have a great holiday. If I don't talk to you, I'm going to try to get one more episode out, but I don't know if it will be before Christmas or not. And usually Nerdist takes Christmas week off. So if I don't, happiest of holidays to you. If I do, consider this a preemptive strike. Bye. Now entering... Nerdist.com right into it i'm immediately going to compliment you on your scarf thank you because i have always wanted i i mean i think there's a there's a sort of preponderance of the sort of bigger longer scarves that people wrap around but i've never been able to perfect the sort of triangular like very french smaller silk scarf around my necktie i feel i'm very bad at it i haven't been able to perfect the longer one you know i can do the wrap around yeah but i i can't there are apparently you know a hundred ways to do that scarf yeah and i don't know that i even know more than like two but (laughs) at least that one i just sort of feel like i can throw around and like you know put it around once and Mm -hmm, then mm -hmm. but something like a little a nice little and even when i put it on it just doesn't look like to me, it looks like for you, it totally goes right with your outfit. For me, when I put one on, I feel like it looks like I very thoughtfully tired a scarf around oh, my. It doesn't look right. incidental or like a little touch. It looks right. like I'm like, how's this, everybody? Right. Does this work? Right. You know, I'm just too. I got this at a uh, an antique store in Reseda, oh. and uh, many years ago. And I think I'm wondering if it was a man's pocket scarf. Oh yeah, but it seems like a, it's a little too big for that. But... Yeah. Uh, they just have like a giant bulge in their right. in their pocket and lapel. The used to wear those. And that, yeah, well, maybe yeah. this was one of the ones that kind of fluffed out. Oh, a fluffer you know, outer. The, the pointy. That's picture, entirely you know. possible. A fluffer know. outer. But oh, to be grand, I kind of wish that I could wear. You know, like Paul F. Tompkins is a very very fine and wonderful comedian and friend, and he's done the podcast. Um, 
And he just always is dressed to the nines. He has uh, a handsome suit on with a pocket square and mm-hmm. just really turns it out. And mm-hmm. that's just not something that you see very often anymore. No, no, you don't. Uh, you know, my mother always gave me that advice uh, when flying. She said, always dress up when you fly. Don't, don't wear jeans. Always dress up when you fly because if you have a problem... <laughs> This was, they're going to treat you better if you're dressed up for them. You know, if it looks like you got dressed up for them. And I thought, oh, okay. You know, but then I wore my pearls one time and my son grabbed them and the strand broke and the oh, pearls no. went Oh, over the thought, old cliche yes, of the pearls right, going everywhere. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and I was in my 30s then, so... You know, but anyway, the, I thought well, that was like going overboard with it. With, with a with the the beautiful pearls. set of pearls. <laughs> well, it's tricky, right? I mean, I, I really enjoy being uh, comfortable, but I do also kind of lament the the idea of, you know, really being sort of natally dressed and turned out and trying to find some sort of combination of like, what still has a sophistication but can feel like I'm wearing pajamas? But you're still comfortable, yeah. Exactly. Well, I think if you just spend a lot of money on them, they just look rich you know, i guess you know, yeah maybe the cashmere that's true. hoodie it's true that's true thing, so yeah you're right uh, you Ugh, know, that's kind you're of still wearing a hoodie but you're wearing cashmere so. everybody so don't bother with me everyone <laughs> right. um yeah no kidding well I, I it's funny you would bring up the idea of people being treated better depending on how they're dressed because i think in my mind I do sometimes think, oh, we're past that. We're past that. Uh And then I was listening to an episode of this new podcast. uh, For those of you listeners who know that I became obsessed with the serial podcast, someone recommended this podcast called Criminal, which is kind of has a flavor of this American life. So it's more like NPR reporting. It's kind of gentle stories. It's not like true crime horror kind of Mm -hmm. stuff. And it's sort of contemplative and exploratory about different criminal acts. And they did this one, it's kind of a short podcast, and so it's one story per podcast. And they did a story about a guy who um, was uh, essentially mugged, I guess, by this by this person. And um, he was asked to, and, and he was asked not only to, press charges against this gentleman, but, but also to serve as a witness for other people who had mm. been jumped by this guy. He was just like a perpetual mugger guy. Mm-hmm. And the whole story is about how the fact that this very well-spoken young man had a beard and long hair and didn't really dress nicely and had like some kind of funny glasses, like uh-huh. maybe his glasses were red or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, but for that reason alone, people found him utterly unbelievable. Juries found him unbelievable. Oh. And he was a terrible, a quote unquote, terrible witness, even oh. though, again, very intelligent, uh-huh. very succinct. Uh-huh. And people, and after one after another, they just kept exonerating this guy or just not, you know, not convicting this man. And the DA literally was like, I think this might be your fault. Like, wow. can you please dress oh, nicer. Wow. Uh-huh. And so it's sort of like, yeah, oh, I, yeah. What am I thinking? Of course, we still live in a world where everyone is judging you by how you look all the time. That's. I think, you know, in my book, I talk about being in the woodworking program. And uh, in my classes, if you walked in, it's A to Z in terms of age, ethnicity. Oh, that's good. I was going to ask you, yeah, about, income, more about that. A to Z. And so it's very funny when you talk to people... Uh, you you could if you ever judged them by how they dressed you'd be shocked because uh they're just full of surprises you know the the this one kid he has you know tattoos up and down his arms and he just looked like kind of rough and tough and uh fine woodworker and uh 
And then I started talking to him. One day we were both in this one room by ourselves, off by ourselves, doing the hand sanding, which is the most, which is the most boring part of woodworking. Uh-huh. And uh, so we started talking, and he he was such a surprise to me. You know, all the things he worked with uh, abused kids, and and his girlfriend was a social worker. You know, he just went on and on, and we talked. You know music we liked and and not anything current because i'm not that great at that i'll know just i can recognize the song but i wouldn't know the artist or the you know right but again and again that happens at woodworking where people are just you know this guy looks like a bum and it turns out you know he worked on the rockets sure engineers and whatnot and uh, so that's kind of cool, I think. Yeah, how did it, so let's t- talk to everybody because, guys, one of the reasons that I wanted to have Marcy on the podcast is that she is uh, she is married to um, a dear friend of mine who in many ways has sort of been a mentor for me the last few years, uh, Bob Cristani. He used to run the Aspen Comedy Festival and the TBS Comedy Festival, and so a friend of mine introduced us because he thought we would um, – get a little something out of talking to Bob about the festival world and that kind of thing. And uh, he ended up being my manager for a while and we're still close. And every time he talks about you, you're doing some other huge, awesome project. You're just so busy and uh, you seem to have to have so much enthusiasm. And like when you find something that you get passionate about, you really stick with it. And um, I think a lot of people aren't like that. And, and I'm not always like that. And uh, Oh, I think you're very much like well, that. You I are guess the hardest working the person grasses. I know. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I, maybe, but uh, it's really funny. The per- there's a person calling me right now who uh, is the person who introduced me to Bob. That's really funny. Shout uh-huh. out to Barb Coleman. <laughs> Shout out to Barb Coleman. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I just think... Particularly when there's this sort of, and I don't want to jump right into this, but there's this sort of conversation to be had about, you know, whether or not, I mean, I talk about it, uh, uh, it's hard for me to get to points sometimes, and by sometimes (laughs) I mean all the time. I talk about it all the time on podcasts. I talk about the idea of wherever, whatever age you're in in your life, do we feel like we are still open to new experiences? Do we still feel like we... Do we feel like we know each ourselves so well that nothing's going to surprise us anymore? Do we mm-hmm. feel, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you hear about very dramatic versions of that where someone's like, I was a stockbroker my whole life and then I became a chef. Yeah, uh-huh. People always become chefs um, <laughs> when they go, when they have a second career. But just to have um, bits and pieces of our lives that excite us and, and create passion and, and that you see through to such a fruition, I think is really admirable. And I do think it's unusual and and unique and special. Well, I always wanted to do woodworking. And so I took it up. I was watching my parents get older and I thought, Oh, you know, if you're going to work with power tools, probably it's better sooner than later. (laughs) When you say always, do you mean always, always like, uh, well, my dad was a general contractor. And so he had, he had every tool known to man in the basement. And, you know, I'd go around and putter a little bit, but I didn't, you know, do much, but, uh, yeah, I always, I like the idea of making, I like working with my hands. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and I like wood. So I thought, Oh, this would be fun. You know, I just thought I'd take a class and make a box or something. And then I was shocked at how much I liked it and the people, you know, I really enjoyed the people there. They call it, uh, woodworking is a thinking man's sport. Uh, because you're always problem solving, you know, and there's, uh, just problem solving. But, but I, I, uh, I, it just ended up, you know, taking over more and more of my life. I was always taking another class, another, you know, one class a semester. And now I'm in the furniture program, and I've made, you know, some things I'm very proud of. Well, but, that's uh, so cool. A lot of little stuff. So. That's so cool. And I love what you were saying, too, about the idea of the cross-section of people, because that's another thing that 
we can fall prey to is kind of being in the same community of people the same type of people or people who look like us or people yes. who are our age or people who grew up, you know, and, and I love the idea of continually <clears throat> opening those doors and exposing ourselves to well, other walks are, of life. You know, and, how are you going to get out of your world? How are you, yeah. you know, you, you, and it seems like the more successful you get, the more you tend to just dive in deeper to it, you know, exactly. so how do you, how do you really get out and meet people who have radically different interests and viewpoints and uh, and really get to know them? I mean, you can meet a lot of different people, but how do you get to know them and become friends with them? And you know, so if you, you know, I think about the friends I have at woodworking, and you would, I just never would have guessed that at some point in my life I would become really good friends with this person or that person. Yeah. You know, it was just, it was. Do a you fluke, think but, they feel the same about you? Do you think oh, that they're yeah, like, oh, know, I can't believe it? Yeah, yeah, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it, it probably, you know, I, I'm like, it brings out, to, you know, I'm a mother to some, I'm, I'm the new kid to, you know, it's like I'm right in the middle because there are a lot of old guys in there, mm. retired engineers, big retired engineers, retired policemen, uh, who some say they are atoning for their dark days, you oh, know, sure, <laughs> and then retired firemen, uh, and then there are a lot of young kids coming in who would like to go into that as a profession. Um, so I'm still in, in that middle age bracket. I'm not, and I'm, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm closer to the older side than I am to the younger side, but, uh, uh, but it's it's nice because we'll go out to lunch together, and if we when we walk into a restaurant, I'm sure well, you know what do these three people yeah. have in common? You I know? will tell you right now that my first guess is their first guess is that you guys are in AA. That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> oh, That's what is. I always isn't that funny he's my sponsor yeah it's really funny i bet that probably is because that's probably what i would think i mean as long as i was casting i would be like that's That's so cool look at how aa brings people together from all walks of life that is so true that's really funny yeah right Uh, and what is the percentage of men to women like is it well it's changed a lot because i started i think i started about six years ago and it was mainly and you have to take the one-on-one class even if you're an accomplished woodworker because you have to learn their safety rules you can't do things you have to use the machinery a certain way because of insurance problems and all that sure so uh when i started in 101 it was mainly retired men who had found out about the program through these woodworking shows sorry what school is it cerritos college cerritos okay way out there yeah but anyway um and there were two women in my class and uh and now it's shocking. Uh, it's completely changed. Um, it's mainly young kids in the class. And I would say I'm in one class that's half women now. That is you know, so cool. Uh, yeah. A lot I of, wonder what changed. Like, I Well, um, I think what changed is that the economy changed. And a lot more kids are going to two years, you know, going to the community college for two years and then transferring to a four-year university. And because they have such high enrollment... They can't get all the, you know, especially if you're a low number, you're one of the last to enroll. All the classes are closed by the time you want to get in. And so it's like, I have to take some class. What am I going sure. to take? And so it's woodworking. And then half of the, so half of the 101 kids won't progress beyond, you know, to the next level. Got it. But then some of them are the same, you know, as what happened to me is that they become shocked. It's like, this is really cool. I could yeah. get all my gen ed requirements, you know, out of the way with this class. You know? Sure. So, uh, so I think that's been a part of it, but it's really changed the the 
style of woodworking that's come out of there. There's, oh, interesting. There's, yeah. The I'm women sure are more you adventurous. actually see that physical representation. Oh, the women are more the adventurous. Women are, the women are, the style is just much more creative, you know. Interesting. Uh, yeah. It used to be very heavily arts and crafts, which it still is, is sort of the predominant uh, style, you know, the program. But the women have just, the young women especially, it's like, whoa, that, you know, where did you get that idea? Because, uh, you know, for the tables and whatnot. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's it's been nice that way to That's so cool. mix it up a little bit. And wh- and you say you always like working with your hands. What? How did that manifest itself for you when you were younger? Like when you were, were you crafty in that way when you were like a teenager? <laughs> yes. and I was crafty. <laughs> <laughs> I saw your yarn covered branch oh yeah oh yeah i did that i totally did yeah i did that that was that's like right out of my head you know that oh, sort yeah. of thing yeah that that's the sort of thing did things with yarn and yeah. then you know when macrame came into stuff. i mean listen you know, if i i wish i knew how to macrame because sort of i do i feel it's very groovy yeah never and uh i you know i can't think of what else uh I just, you know, I like to work in the yard, plant mm-hmm, things. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. Where did you grow up? Where were you a teenager? Well, I was a teenager in a suburb of Chicago. I grew up on the south side of Chicago, and then we moved to a suburb when I was in seventh grade. And uh, so for six years, I lived in South Holland, Illinois, it's called. It was a Dutch community that turned into a suburb. Oh, okay. Like, they did cocktail. They were the cocktail onion capital of the world, Impressive. but they didn't. Yeah, <laughs> and they didn't drink. You know? Oh yeah, <laughs> you know because it was funny. Dutch reformed. Yeah. So anyway, a so that's where I grew up. Onion yeah. capital. Talk oh, about the things that we would never think were no. thing unless and the we grew up with it. You know, oh I bet. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, that slowly all the fields were you know became housing developments and whatnot. So. Um, so I really only lived full time in South Holland for six years because of high school and then seventh and eighth grade, mm-hmm. and then I went off to college and I never moved back. You know, I, I went to California after that. So yeah, you did. Where'd you go to college? Western Illinois University. Okay, so All right. called it Harvard on the Lemoyne River. Okay, Our, again, <laughs> yeah. something you would never know, probably unless no, you went it was there, a joke. But... <laughs> <laughs> it was really it was like a party school. <laughs> it was. Yeah. What did you major in? Uh, political science and philosophy. Oh, wow. But, okay. Uh, yes. But I had gone to Catholic schools all my life until I went to away to uh, All girls Catholic schools or, or? All girls high school. Okay. And then co-ed, you know, up until then. So yeah. So this was a big change for me. Oh, my gosh. You know, I ooh, bet. boys are going to be in my class. Right. Right. <laughs> well, that is interesting to be at that age because, and I, these guys know they're probably tired of me talking about my fascination with, with all girls and all boys schools all the way up through teenagerhood, but it does seem... It's so interesting and something that we just, someone like me who went to public school my whole life just takes for granted. You know, I just uh-huh. don't, I was interested in it in the same way I'm interested in people with siblings because it just wasn't my reality at all. Mm-hmm. And the idea of, like, honestly, so much of my schooling had, was so mixed in with teasing and flirting and oh, bullying, uh-huh. but in a, you know, not necessarily in a same gender way, but sort of in like a, I like you way, or uh-huh. I really don't like you. And I'm a boy bullying you. Like it was oh, just very, I mean- very, very, uh, co-ed, you know? Mm-hmm. And I am really interested in the, the women who've done the podcast who've said, you know, to have a lot of that stripped away and to just really feel like, you know, it was really about the work, but well, was the, that your experience? Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, you're you're with boys all the way up through eighth grade, and then it's like, oh, puberty hits, and then they separate them out because they have the boys' Catholic high schools and the girls' Catholic high schools. But I, I am, uh, I have three brothers, and I had an older brother um, who. 
went to the public school. And so he met a lot of, you know, friends because uh, Thornridge High School it was. And so he um, would bring his friends home. And so oh, <laughs> it was like, my, don't mind if ooh, I do. You know, I'd sneak through and sneak through the family room to go to the kitchen to get something to drink when he had his friends over. Sure. Oh, he would get so mad at me. And so one day he just (laughs) said to me, my friends are coming over again tonight. And I know what you do. I know, I know what you're up to, but don't even look at them. They don't like you. (gasps) They think you're ugly. Don't look at my friends. Oh, no. No, but it didn't bother me. Because (laughs) I thought. brother says it, you're like, screw you. I just thought, oh, you are so wrong. You know, you are so wrong. If you were at Pete Bronson's house and his sister a year younger was walking through, you'd look at her. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Don't worry, Good for you for being like, listen, I think I know what's going on. You know, we, you know, he didn't. That didn't, just rolled right off my shoulders. That's great. Great, great, great. All right. So you were uh, making yourself seen around the homestead. How did you, did, were you allowed to date? Um, were your parents yeah. really strict or are they? No, they, I was allowed to date, but there just weren't many opportunities because uh, there were no boy high schools, you know, all boys high schools out in my suburb. There was, you know, I went to Elizabeth Seton High School, which was out in South Holland, mm. but the only boys high schools were in the city of Chicago. So uh, it was hard to meet, you know, that's why I got, I got, no, that's not why, but I got into forensics and all of these things. So you could go to these meets and, you know, you have to do something to meet boys. Uh, sure. And so. Well, listen, but this know. is what I'm already hearing. I'm already feeling like I hear not only an interest in human beings, because obviously philosophy and political science are so that, opposed to something like molecular biology where you're interested in humans on a very very right. small level but to to kind of have that that impulse to get out and kind of mingle and see what's happening outside of your circle obviously is something that you even felt then because you well, were kind think, of seeking that out was is yeah. also was south holland a predominantly white predominantly oh, yes. catholic oh, yes. so well, not really, predominantly catholic mm. but predominantly white mm-hmm. it was predominantly uh christian reformed okay. uh, but the peop- the girls in my school came from all over Chicago, not all over Chicago, the south side of Chicago, and the, and the east, south side is slightly more working class yes, and poorer yes. and multi ethnic side. David right? from the south side. Oh, Tons Obama. of my guests have been. Yeah, I can't yeah, believe you know, right. how many friends I have from it's, the south you know side what? of Chicago. You wear like a badge of honor. Sure, like, from the south side. You know? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and then because uh, when you meet people from Chicago, oh, where are you from? Oh, from Chicago. Where are you from? Oh, Chicago. And then at, the next question is, where are you from? You repeat the question. Right. And so, uh, you know, north side, you say, oh, because north side's supposed to be. You yeah, know, that's better. where my dad was. Okay. No, but no. he they didn't have money, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And so that was like south side, and you were just as party. Yeah. <laughs> I went to Chicago for the very first time in my life this year, and I'm so ashamed that I'd never been there before. And I didn't get to spend that much time there, but what a remarkable city. I can't uh, wait to go back. Oh, yeah. I just don't have any family living there anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, but it's it, really impressive. It's a great city. I think uh, to live in if you're in your 20s mm-hmm. and 30s, it's a it's very friendly to young people. You know, it's a great city for young people. Uh, it's neighborhoody, it, and people go to the bars. Uh, it just as uh, Tuesday night, you know, not to get drunk, but it's just a social thing to do. And, and a lot of people end up meeting their partner, you know, in a bar. Um, and, and it's just it's the people are friendly. The architecture is fabulous. You know, the theater scene is you know, top drawer, mm-hmm. art, you know, it's just, it's a great city. And so, um, 
But I feel bad because I really only knew it as a little girl. My dad used to take me downtown a lot, and so did my mom. And uh, then I would go on my own when I was in high school, just take the train down there to go. But then after I moved to California, I never, I kind of lost touch with that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we'd go back and take our kids, and I'd show I was them all the, ask if you yeah, the highlights, there. you know, uh, yeah. and do that. But I, I'd love to go and just spend a, like a month there, you know, rent a place for a month oh, and live yeah. there for a month and just to get to know it again because it's it's a pretty cool city. It sure is. Ugh, I got to get back there ASAP. Okay, so you were into so also if you're doing forensics and stuff, is that sort of de- that's kind of debate sort of? Well, stuff. I wasn't Do you debate. Know, or is what? What's the so I what was, is what are the conversation? What are the, what are the meetings that you're going to? When oh, you're they were into political um, science and forensics. What do you call stuff? it? Uh, you know, like. You do interpretive readings of oh. uh, poetry. Or, oh, okay. Or I think I just totally or, misunderstood what I was. Uh, whatever I had in my head was more yeah. kind no, of well, there was debate, ethics but and I debate and or, stuff like that. They had extemporaneous speaking. You know, they mm-hmm. use topic and whatnot, and mm-hmm. you have twenty minutes to research it. I they threw me into that one. <laughs> And I was terrible. <laughs> I, I forget what the you know it was a current event topic, and I went to the library and. And you have old time magazines you have to go through sure. to find you know about your topic and talk about it. And I remember you're supposed to give a five minute speech, and after a minute, I just stood in front of the judges and I said, "That's uh, it. That's I, all I've yeah, got." Da, da, yeah, da, da, da. <laughs> Don't oh. like being put on the spot. I guess I don't yeah. know. But mine, my category was uh, I did poetry. I did Ogden Nash poems. Hmm. Uh, read those, and then I did uh, I did an essay. Uh, Martin Luther King, and then and I, you know just that sort of thing. You would do interpretive things, okay? You know, short stories, mm-hmm. the Scarlet Ibis. I remember that was one of mine. But anyway, that that those were the different categories, and so you would go all over the city to these meets. Was it competitive? Oh yeah. So do so you were would you consider yourself a competitive person when you were younger? Um, that's a good question. I don't. I must have been, but I didn't know it. I don't mm-hmm. know. I must have been. It's interesting. I think that's a hard thing to figure out about yourself. I think that I have friends even now who are fiercely competitive and don't and don't know it. And maybe I am. Do you know what I mean? Like I think to be a performer, you have to be willing to Uh compete. Uh But I also don't feel like internally. I don't feel a sense of I deserve that, and Mm -hmm. they didn't. Like Mm -hmm. I do feel a sense of camaraderie and a sort Mm -hmm. of like, well, I'm glad you got it if I didn't. So I don't feel. Like that, but uh-huh. I guess there has to be a certain element of that to kind of propel you forward to in propel some you. way. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think I, I've actually I've been thinking about this lately about am I competitive or not, and and uh, <laughs> I think my brother. It's funny. Say, it's funny that that came know, up for you. Yes, too. you are. Yes, you are. But I, I do. I like you. I don't think of myself that way. But again, uh, well, or maybe I wonder it's if fear it's internal yeah, or if yeah. You know, I mean, that was what like, I was going to oh, say. I don't want to land on my face. Fear on this of failure one, is know? almost like an internal competition, yeah. right? Like you're more concerned with competing against your past self or your future self, or mm-hmm. just kind of you might be weighing yourself against where everyone else is, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you are externalizing it. Like I'm going to beat you, and I'm going to beat yes, you, and yes. I'm going to beat you. You know what yeah. I mean? Well. Uh, and maybe part of it is uh, not ego, but just I guess so that you don't want to, you know, fail. You yeah, know? it's like I know even in uh, you know from in, in any small thing, it's like uh, you know in woodworking. It's oh, everybody makes mistakes, so that's not the problem. You know, you can constantly every even the best woodworker. Like when a teacher makes a mistake, it's like yes, uh-huh. congratulations, <laughs> you screwed up, right? Uh, and and so, uh, but it's how do you get out of the hole then? You know, and so. 
how do you recover from that? And uh, they call it, you know, from being a mistake to being a design opportunity. Sure. You know? so, yeah, well, that's sort of positive attitude, kind so, of yeah, reflective. And the, yeah, and that can go over to a lot of different things, you know. Okay, yeah. I really screwed this up. Now what, you know, how do I say, oh, you know, just ugh, put it behind you, move on and yeah. get on to something else. Uh, but so. do you feel like, because also there are people who are afraid of failing and that is precisely why they're not competitive. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that mm-hmm. you can also, if you are afraid of failing, then you can just choose not to participate at all because then you don't have to risk being mm-hmm. the last or being second best or whatever. Yeah, I was talking, a friend of mine had a an epic personal failure recently. And I was saying, you know, it, it's that she doesn't want to talk about and uh, it's like, just put it under the rug. And um, But you look at, like, athletes and uh, creative types, uh, you know, singers, they make a new album, it flops. It, you know, the basketball player misses the last shot at the end of the game that could have won the title for them. And it's like there you have to put yourself out there and your failures are very public. Uh, but a lot of people don't have that... When they fail, it's it's very private, and so they mm-hmm. know it. Uh, when they fail in their job, maybe just the people around them know, but it, it's not so public. And and uh, I think that's uh, people don't realize that you know if, if if you're afraid of failure, that it's like oh he really sucked in that game. It's like <laughs> yeah, and he sucked in front of three million yeah, people. The poor absolutely. guy, you know, you know that's like I don't know. I always feel sorry for the underdog, I guess, but it, it's. Uh, well, not always. Uh, <laughs> say, those, yeah. But uh, uh, I just think it, I don't know how I got off on this, but. Um, no, I, well, listen, I'm being competitive. T- if, if nothing, but if not tangential, I'm nothing if not tangential, but I do think that, um, but yeah, but then I wonder where does that come from? Like what metal are we made of that, you know, is it that your parents were very encouraging and just kind of pushed you out there and how did they respond to your failures and how did they, how does someone else's, you know, respond to their failures? Some people are propelled forward by wanting to kind of like give a fuck you to their parents because their parents didn't believe in them. Other people feel crippled by thinking they're going to let their parents down if they try and fail at something. I mean, it's so fascinating how much of it is nature and nurture and, and, um, you know, just to turn to to your book for a second, or for longer than a second. Oh, my that's book, another halfway to dead. Thing. <laughs> halfway to dead. Your book. I mean, that's a, that's that to me and to many people. Um, the 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 vulnerability of writing is for some people, and I count myself among them, the most fearful kind of like that's the thing I am most afraid of failing at, and the thing I am most afraid of sharing with others. Hmm. And potentially failing at. Like, I think I can kind of excuse either things that I'm not that great at. So if I try it and it flops, yeah, so then what? I can take it as an opportunity to get better. I can just mm-hmm. be like, and then things like acting, it's so ephemeral. It's sort of like, well, that was me in the moment and I did the best I could and now it's over. Mm-hmm. But writing kind of falls right down this middle for me where it's like, mm. I should be good enough at this point. I've been writing my whole mm. life that I should be great at it. And also it lives forever beyond the moment of a performance and so there it is representing, but it's so personal, right? That it's mm-hmm. like, 
you know, maybe if you're performing, you bury your soul, but then you're done. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you make a pie, I'm not, I wish I could bake better, but it's not quite the same as like the words from your soul on Mm -hmm. a page that you then shove towards someone else and say, hey, what do you think about this? This comes from the deepest part of me. What do you think? You know, it's so scary. I, 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 uh. I don't have a problem with people I don't know reading. It's like, yay, get out into the world. Uh, yeah. Get out into the world. Uh, but it is hard when people you know, uh, I think it's it's kind of like a girlfriend's book in a way. You know, there are parts of me that it's women really say, oh, man. I, and then, so I was pushing it at school like, oh, hey, you know, I got my book finally. I finally wrote my book and it's published and blah, blah, blah. And so <laughs> all of a sudden, one guy came up to me one day and he said, Wow, I am learning things about you that I never would have guessed. And then I thought about it, and I thought, "Oh, geez, I don't know if I want these guys to know this stuff." Right, you know, right. I mean, it's I don't mind the women sense. knowing, but you know, there's stuff in there that I don't, you know, I don't yeah. want the guys knowing about. So uh, anyway, that uh, is interesting, and I think that's true for a lot of people too. Like, there's that whole cliche about it's easier sometimes to talk to a perfect stranger about your secrets. Mm. Then mm-hmm. someone that you then have to see the next day and go, huh, I can't believe they know now that I, you know, wet the bed till I was 16 or what have you. Yeah. Um, but how, how did you, I mean, did you have that feeling of vulnerability and fear when you decided to start writing or is that, has this been something for you that just felt like, ah, I'm going to do it. This can be great. Uh, I think, well, the essay form I was always attracted to, so I didn't have you know, that's, I think my, that's my strength. Is and you had that. written pieces yes. earlier, in earlier adulthood too, yeah? I was for, a journalist. I was, yeah. you know, I did freelance writing. I was a columnist for the LA Daily News, first pay, you know, first person humor column. Then I went to the LA Times and I uh, was a, you know, it was a lifestyle column, uh, weekly column and whatnot, but it wasn't me. It was not first person column, but I always liked, I would submit essays. I always liked that form. And then, uh, but did you have a lot of rejection when you got when you oh were starting my out? Gosh, yeah, that's yeah. you know. But uh, you just pushed past it, obviously, because a lot of people just go, huh? Five well, people in a row said no. I guess I'm but, not any good at this. No, uh, that's just part of it. And, and Bob, you know, used to tell me uh, sometimes I'd say, ah, oh, you know, you'd send out queries and you'd get rejected, rejected, and Bob said, you know, how many times a day I get rejected? You know, don't worry about it. Just you know, keep doing it, keep doing it, and and it's true, you know. But it's. Uh, I don't take rejection personally if it's it's about something like uh, an article I did, an uh, article query or whatnot, because eh, it's not about me, you know. It's it's okay that didn't work for them, right? Uh, you know, r- wrong piece for their, yeah. their readership, but uh, it is a little more. It's a little tougher when it's personal. You're, you know, you're putting something personal out there. Yeah, especially because, uh, yeah, when you're really writing about yourself and your experiences. And I, I think I remember, if you don't mind me bringing this up, I, I seem to remember even Bob being like, I told her not to write anything right. about us. <laughs> right. I told her not to mention me. Right. And then, you know, as you're writing something and you want it to be something like Halfway to Dead, where you're talking to people about your experiences getting older and sort of having a sense of humor about it and all the things that kind of come along with that. How do you not kind of bring your relationships and your, you know, family and your own well, kind of vulnerability yeah, and, into it? And I, I, there were, you know, there were things I just didn't want. I, you know, the only thing I wrote about him really was the snoring, <laughs> which he does, but uh, so do I. So anyway, uh, <laughs> that was the pot calling the kettle black. <laughs> but, um, I used a lot of other people's stories, too. I mean, because I was trying, sometimes, you know, some of them were very just 
some of them were out there, just out there. And then uh, just maybe two or three, there were 30 essays. And then some of them were very personal. They were just stories to say, oh, man, this is where, where I am right now. You know, this is what's happened. And then some of them were to have a point, you know, uh, a, and I used stories to illustrate the point uh, that I was trying to make. And it, so, because I, I didn't want it to be, this is me growing older and here's here I am and this is what I think about this and this is what happened. So, yeah, because I don't, you have to be a really good writer to get away with that, mm. you know, where it's all me, 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 mm-hmm. me, me, and uh, so you're acting also as an editor, very much so when when, oh. you're, when you're doing something like this because you're calling other people's experiences and sort of you know, well, friends, you know, they're they're not. I'm not soliciting them. They're just stories right. that I, yeah, people that I know and whatnot, and and uh, yeah. Can to, you give an example of one of the more out there things, just for people to get a sense of what you mean by that? Um, well, I not to think just put you on the, the spot, one but to w- fully <laughs> put you on the spot. If you well, would just do a report on a current event, I could take you to the library. The, the and do last some time one, you know, where it was, I was my concluding essay was of the uh, Disney Circle of Life retirement home, oh. and it was how you know I just hoped that someday I didn't. You know, you think about is you, you I'm starting to think. You know, just. It crosses my mind. I shouldn't say I'm starting to think. I should say it crosses my mind mm-hmm. every now and then about, oh, I wonder, you know, where we'll live or I'll live, you know, with uh, in, in the end, the last, you know, is if I get live to be really old. So I, I started to think about uh, the Walt, you know, the Disney World thing. They've, they're in everything, you know, Disney World. And so I thought, you know, they've got the whole baby market corner. Sure, sure. And, you know. They've got the movie market. They've got it. They just have taken over more and more and more mm-hmm. markets. Like, here's theater. our take on this thing. Yeah. You know our brand, so you'll yes. love our version of blank. We're in theater. We're in theme parks. We're in this. We're, you know. So I th- thought about how simple of a jump it would be for Walt Disney to have a Disney-themed retirement home. And so my last essay was that I, you know, I, I said, I hope someday I never write a letter like this. Mm-hmm. And I wrote it as if Bob and I were living in uh, Walt Disney retirement <laughs> home. Uh, and so that one was a little, uh, you know, because it was just too easy to imagine. It was oh, too easy. Yes. To, it was too, you know. Was and like, by the way, there's no way that uh, someone will read that and be like, what an idea. We've got to do this. Right. I mean, it feels like it is. It feels so ripe for it that yeah. I, I really wouldn't be surprised. And what would the cemetery be named? The Magic Kingdom. You know, I mean, you know, circle, yes. you know, circle of Life Retirement Home. Absolutely. Because I wasn't that a, one one of the songs. From yeah, the Lion yeah. King, Lion King. That? Absolutely. Yeah, so anyway. Oh, my God. Uh, you're so right on. That one was out, the, you know, just a little. And then the one about my dog, uh, Sammy. So um, I I'm, now I can't think of any beyond. But anyway, there are a few that were just sort of, you know, mm, uh, but not. And then some of the one day uh, there, I did an essay on one day you notice and just different things that kind of flash across, mm. you know, that you hadn't noticed before um, about yourself or the world or whatever, your thoughts. Sure. And so uh, some of those were... You know, a little more out there. Here, uh, this is a poorly formed question. I don't even really know what I'm asking. But when you, when you were, um, for example, when you were living in the Bay Area, right? So at what ages were you living in the Bay Area? 20s? Um, yes, right out of college. For And I lived there. I lived in Oakland for three years in the Fruitvale area. Mm-hmm. And then I lived in San Francisco 
for a year in the Presidio. In the believe pr- it? God, you lucky duck. Where really in the Presidio lucky. were you? On Sacramento Street. Okay. Um, and was uh, it how close is that to like the bowling alley? Is it sort of were you sort of in that alley. central area where the post office and the bowling alley were? Or were you sort of out no, more I in the was kind of like barracks or right backed up to the Presidio, the trees that you drove through, yeah. you know, to get back down. It was what was it, California? And Sa- I don't remember. Oh, okay. So you so okay. So if you lived on Sacramento, you you just yeah, exactly. So your backyard would have been that way, yeah. but you weren't necessarily inside living in one of the in one of the old officers' homes or something. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. That, that maybe it was still a functional was, base. It at was that still point. called yeah, but that area okay. was called the Presidio. I got you. But gotcha. I, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's that. such a great area. That's oh. really. When I know, as stressful as sketch dress is, these guys know, but just when I am thinking about the hard part about being up there, it's very, very easy for me to sort of meditate into a space of like the fog coming through the eucalyptus mm-hmm. and cypress trees and, and the presidio and how calming that is. Mm-hmm. And there's just like a beautiful, quiet sweetness to that that I don't, I hardly ever feel in LA as much as there are things that I absolutely mm-hmm. love about LA. That's something very specific about that. Yeah. They, cause they are, what do they say? It's a big, small town. Yeah, it really it is. It really is where no one works. Like, <laughs> yeah. More people and good looking, stylish people who are yeah. just out and about in the middle of the day. Like, I know it is like here. It is like here. I remember thinking after I moved here, I remember thinking when I came back to San Francisco, like, Oh, that'll be cool. Because like in LA, everyone's always at the coffee shops all day long, but I'll have them all to myself when I'm in San Francisco. And then I was there. I'm like, oh, yeah, everyone's right. oh, same thing. Huh. What do all these people do? Yeah. Yeah. Where's it? What, where, when you were writing, though, I imagine, were you, I mean, if you were, were you, I, were you going into an office or were no, you? No, no, I didn't write. Th- I, okay. That's where I started, but I just okay. did, I worked, there were a lot of free newspapers back in those days. And so that's where I started journals. I started writing for a lot of the free newspapers. Um, and, uh, but I wasn't doing journalism then for my, livelihood okay then. Uh, what were you doing i was <laughs> i was i had a lot of jobs there i did social work well, uh, by the way know? that me too because i feel like if you want to live in san francisco you gotta be real flexible right. yeah i did uh i worked with um emotionally disturbed adults uh, okay. as the activities director at a group home and that was probably very influential in ways that I didn't realize, you know, the repercussions of that. Uh, sure. You know, uh, was that rever- something that you'd had a lot of experience with before? No, none. Not none, at all. None. But, you know, well, I was crafty. So, yeah, <laughs> I got the job. Yeah. And then how uh, did that how was that, honestly? And this is a, a point I would make because I that's something that I feel that my I've done a lot of volunteer work, but I would say. I might be too emotional for certain things. And mm-hmm. I and I found that out the hard way d- down here doing volunteer work with sick kids. Oh, There's mm-hmm. certain convalescent homes that I go to and it just, my heart is just torn to pieces yes. and I can't, I'm ashamed of this, but I can't I, function yeah. stalwartly enough uh-huh. in the moment. You just I just want to so I just want to cry and, and hug and, and uh-huh. squeeze and and mourn, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah. um, and so, and I think that uh, that working with emotionally disturbed adults might be really hard for me. And I just wonder what well, that experience was like. Well, it wasn't. It was really like one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Was, I mean, huh? they were very funny, you know. Uh, and I don't mean I'm laughing at them. Uh, Although there were one or two, I could say that. But uh, <laughs> Fair enough. The, some of them, the take they had on the world was just uh, unbelievable. You know, they're, they're impre- there was this one guy, Garcia, 
And he, I don't know why he was in there. I knew a lot of people's stories. I didn't know his. And he always, he wore the suit and tie every day, and it was fil- It was filthy. Uh, and, and so were they, sorry, were they living, were they residents, or were they coming, No, it was a, taken they into, lived there, and okay. it was in the worst neighborhood in Oakland. It was mm. a horrible neighborhood. It was mm. at the end of this block, and, and and the lady was doing it. She was, it was a scam artist, basically, was just making money off the state warehousing oh, wow. them. Because they, they emptied wow. all the mental institutions, remember? Yeah. And they went into group homes, and it was terrible. Mrs. Rubidoux was her name. But anyway. Shame um, on you, Mrs. Rubidoux. <laughs> Although so, you do have a great name. Garcia. <laughs> So I was living very bare bones, uh, very bare bones, and I would take the bus to get there. And so the Garcia said to me, Marcy, we, we would go, I would take some of them for walks through the neighborhood. And Garcia said to me, Marcy, all I want in life is a house, a car, a refrigerator with Coca-Cola in it, and a desk with papers on it. How do I get that? And I said, you know, Garcia, I haven't figured it out. I don't know. I don't have that. You know, I'm taking the bus to get here. I'm renting a house. And uh, I don't, you know, I, I don't know how to get, I don't know the answer to that. I said, I know you need money to do it. He said, oh, you don't need money. Look at these people. They're all driving Mercedes and they don't have any money. <laughs> like, you, know, you don't need money. That's not the answer. And I was yeah. like, oh, okay, let me think about that. Yeah, one, you know? yeah. But there were a lot of just things where they would say you know, it would sound it would sound funny, yeah. And then you'd think about it and you'd say, "Hmm, huh? Okay, uh-huh. you know, actually, you're kind of right about that." You yeah, know? Cause yeah. We all know people who just live the life and don't have a dime. You know, yeah. <laughs> so, not yeah, that no I want kidding. The American you know, dream, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's it? Yeah. Anyway, um, so I, I and there weren't. Uh, there were a couple of really sad sack cases, but. Um, for the most part, it it they weren't that bad. But I, I know what you mean. I think anything with children or really old people is hard. Mm-hmm. You know, being at either end and sick is hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, there were some really sweet moments there at that place. But I, I could tell you stories for days about that place because you know they were really. It was uh, it was a fun place. Maybe that's in, that could be your next book. Yeah, I don't. I I've never brought anything. They're great stories, but I don't know, you know, sometimes I don't know what what to do with them other than, you know, I've just, I've told them. I had them over for dinner. I had a couple of them over for dinner one night. Oh, you did? Yeah. And they got I didn't know if there were going to be some kind of rules where it's like, yes. don't, you're not supposed to. I had, you know. I had to get special permission. It was a big deal. And so they came over and I made this nice dinner. Healthy did you live dinner. by yourself? Or were no, you I had roommates. Or, okay, uh, roommates. Two roommates. And uh, we lived in California, bungalow. And so this one guy, Larry, who was my favorite, and he was scared to death of Hitler. And, oh, uh, well, rightly so. <laughs> he wasn't a great dude. Hitler, Hitler's dead. Uh, I don't care. He could come back. Oh, so, okay. So I was f- putting the finishing touches on my dinner, and the one woman, Lee, was in the kitchen talking to me, and where's Larry? Where's Larry? And Larry was in my bed. And oh. he had my covers oh, up no. to his, just his eyeballs poking out. And he was gripping them, you know, with his hands. And I said, and I was into painting at that time, a lot of painting. And my paintings were all over the wall. <laughs> he said, these paintings are scaring me. I said, oh, no, I painted them with love, Larry. You know, this is a, this is a love house. There's love in this house. And he said, no, these paintings are evil. And oh. I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> My soul is he seeing, you know? Exactly. (laughs) I'm not seeing that. Well, now I want to know what your paintings look like. Oh, they were just, they were 
abstract sort they, of like. Well, they, they? You know, a lot of people, you know, I did mm. the pa- people and, and, uh, so, see, look, I, you could have said that you painted landscapes and yeah. I would have been fine with that. But now that you, but you are all clearly very interested in people. <laughs> and apparently evil people. And apparently, but, well, uh, listen, they might not be evil. You're evil. <laughs> that's people right. might that's be great. Right. They might be wonderful. Right. Well, oh my God. Hey, Hitler was a painter. We started out You're this painter. You're so right. That's probably what, yeah. that's probably what nailed it for Larry. He was done. Oh, right. He was yeah. done when he realized you and Hitler well, were both painters. So anyway, if we finally have the dinner and, uh, our, and in the middle of the dinner, Larry says, you know, excuse me, Marcy, I need to use your bathroom. Okay. So he goes into the bathroom and he didn't close the door because they don't, he wasn't used to being in a house. They don't do, you know, and he'd lived yeah. in an institution for most of his life. Yeah. So he's in the bathrooms right there off the dining room. So he's in the bathroom and he throws up the whole entire meeting oh, meal no. and we're all sitting there just here oh no i was like I thought, i'm done you know i can't eat anymore after oh, this. No. it just ruined the oh, entire no. meal because not only can you hear him if you turned your head to the right you could see him throwing up this meal so i was like oh so, shoot. so then he comes back in and he sits back down and i said you know everything okay larry he said Oh, wonderful. The meal was delicious. Oh, no. I thought, going in and going out, I guess, you know. Oh, my gosh. Bless but, his heart. Listen, yeah. he still wanted you to feel good about it, even though he just barfed it all right up. Oh, my gosh. But, uh, but even hearing you talk about it, I mean, it sounds like maybe one of the reasons that I um, get uncomfortable in situations like that, because, and kind of what you were talking about, too, with maybe not so much with kids, because we just have this sort of protective feeling about children, but for old people as well, I'm sure I'm not the first person to say that, you know, it's uncomfortable for, for us, because we don't really want to accept that that's where we're all headed, right? Mm-hmm. That, that at any given age, people look at people older, older than them, and there's a sense of like, yeah, but that's not me, and that won't be me. And so it's you sort of avoid it for that reason. And I think maybe anyone who's really hypersensitive or has sort of emotional, you know, uh, fluctuations and stuff like that might be, I think that I would have a hard time because eh, these guys know, you know, I've had some, some experiences, especially when I was younger, where I had a lot of anxiety and that kind of thing. And I just, I think that like, if I were to talk about one of my biggest fears, it would be either being perceived as crazy or going crazy. Mm-hmm. And maybe if you're a more you're of your of a stock that kind of is susceptible to that less, maybe there's a separation from it that makes it possible to sort of just be grounded and supportive and you know pragmatic about it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel like that's true for you? Because you just seem very together, oh, and you know. <laughs> Like to be able to take care of others, and you know, I don't know. Oh, but I, 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 I can't. Uh, you know, I, I was in an earthquake, uh, the earthquake in Guatemala back in '76 or '75, I think it was, and '75, uh, I think it was, and like twenty thousand people died in that. <sighs> and I was, it was just right, and I was there for um, a couple of months through the Catholic Church, and so we had to go and do relief work, and I, I just couldn't do it. You know, I was the weak chain and a weak link in the chain because I just was so overwhelmed with feeling I was not efficient so they gave me like the most menial job because they they didn't have the time to take care of me I was having like a little mini breakdown of yeah. this is so sad this is so hard yeah. I and mean, we saw people dying and I don't want to be that person I want to be the person that's like yes, listen right, I soldiered right, up right, and I saved right, 50 people right, and then right, I cried about it later right, because I didn't have time to cry right, like I don't want to be the person know, that's useless right, I don't want right, to be the person who needs yes, to be taken care right, of yeah you know and and it was funny because uh, there are certain you know, I think if it's like a one-on-one crisis, I'm great. I'm there. You know, or 
maybe maybe I could go up to three, but, you know, <laughs> but not when it's the hole everywhere you look. I, I just yeah. I fell apart. You know, yeah. I was trying to hold it together, and finally they just Oof. sent me back home to do the uh, back home, not to uh, United States, but back to our little town where we were from. And, and I handled collections. You know, that was my Aww. job because it was like, you know, you're just well. Also, I got amoebas, and I had to be treated. Uh, oh no! So yeah, uh, okay. but anyway, but. Uh, I I know exactly. It's just overwhelming, isn't it? You just empathize so much. Yeah. And you just can't, and you just have to shut that down, you know? Yeah. Uh, or I, I don't know what if you shut it down, I don't know, or you put it aside, or, you know, I yeah. don't know what you do. And I don't know how learned it is versus how some people are just kind of better built for it from birth, or if there's, yeah. you know, if there really is a process by which you discover ways to move through that and maybe it's just as hard for everyone but some people have the yes. stick-to-itiveness if right. you will yeah that there's something driving yeah. them forward to kind of keep being that you know emt or you know thank god that there are so many people who have you know the ability to continue and work through that kind of empathy and work through it i think that's it because i don't think they you know i don't know if shut down is the right word because that kind of sounds like they're cold and i don't think you I think, they're I think driven. you have to be compassionate yeah, to want to do, do it. it. So in you, the first exactly, place, yeah, so, exactly. But but I don't know that I'm. My hat goes off to people you know who do that because, uh, like you say, you know, you always think you're going to buck up, and it's like, yeah. whoa, and I didn't. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, oh, oh boy. Anyway, well, I'll know. tell you what. I'm going to use that as a segue into our mash game um, because uh, I think there's maybe a fun opportunity here to start it out, which is that I want you to give me three sort of alternate universe career Marcy's, like three things. It's only the kind of good stuff and fun stuff about uh, three other careers. Uh, singer. Great. I love to sing. Um, <laughs> this is, I'm sure I sound like every third person. I want to direct. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, you know, like chef, I, I could, you yeah, know. no, listen, I feel the same. Not that like, chef, they make it look real good. I'm not a chef, a cook, you know. Uh, okay. All right. Oh, what would my third one be? Landscaper. I was hoping you were going to go there because I had a feeling, but I wasn't sure. Okay, great. Um, let's go next with three um, places that, and maybe you don't have answers to this, and and, and I'll I have don't. to change the question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for sure, no. But it, are there three places in the world that you would like to visit from the perspective of appreciating woodworking specifically? Is that something that kind of get, comes up for you? Like if you're reading books or oh, you're huh. reading magazines about something, it's like, oh, I'd love to see this this kind of work that was being done in blank during mm-hmm. the blank century or anything like that, like three destinations that would be kind of fun to appreciate from a different point of view than you oh, would that's normally. that's a good question. Um, Again, I don't even know if such a thing exists. I'm just wondering if. Well, yeah. Because, you know, if you're a real architecture buff, then you could say, you know, right. I recently got into architecture right. and I want to see the Sistine Chapel for that reason or uh-huh. whatever, but. Well, no, there are, I mean, there are different. Uh, or even, let's expand it out. Oh. Three places that you wish you could go take a woodworking course that, it, that you would be in a certain environment with a kind of a certain style, right. like that you sort of combines two things. Well, actually, and- one of them I know, it's not my taste at all, but, uh, you know, back in the Louis, the French Louis days, you know, they, their woodworking was unbelievable. Yeah, so uh, intricate. And, and they had incredible locking systems and secret drawers. And, yeah. you know, you open this drawer and that drawer pops oh, up. Oh, I'm so, so into it. You know, I, that would be cool to see because the idea of a secret drawer, I okay, love that. Okay, so I'm taking you back to Louis, which Louis is it? Couture's? 
I don't yeah, really right. Know. Uh, one of the Louis, <laughs> one of the teens, <laughs> Louis era no, France. So not only are you you're actually time traveling because you're going to see that stuff being made. Three more or two mm, more. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Two more. Try um, to stop that. I don't. I it's guess not just something <laughs> with yourself. <laughs> I'm flunking. I'm talking about <laughs> failure. Oh no! Um, I get you know. I, I look Denmark. It'd be interesting to see. You, you know, bet something. it would. Uh, get some Wegener in there. Yeah, and then uh, I know I'm going to go home and say, "Oh, I didn't say blah blah blah." Welcome okay, to Mash. Right, yep. Okay, and then uh, I'll just say Japan. Yes, great choices. Um, okay, great. Next one is three. Um, books that you wish you could just go into like they're real they're real and it could be from childhood it could be from adulthood anywhere in between three worlds that it would be kind of wonderful to get to dip a toe into hmm i'm gonna cite my perennial example Anne of green gables <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> there was a book i used to go into and i i actually should look it up and you know how you can do those look up your books from your childhood there was mm-hmm. one called the heidi hole h-i-d-e-y i don't even know mm-hmm. who wrote it but i read that book i took it out of the library you know 30 times and i just remember that was one because there was a weeping willow tree and she would go into the you know oh beneath, i mean had you, got, you house, sold me it's you like know? a tiny little it's like it a was, secret garden yes, sort of was, feeling yeah, to so it that one i remember and then uh ugh. <laughs> a book, a, a world I would want to go into. Um, I, does it have to be a novel? No, 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 not at all. Um, well, I don't know that I'd want to go in. I'd just like to go into her mind. Joan Didion. Uh, oh, you yes. Know, I'd like to go into her yeah, mind. Yeah, I know. I accept that answer. Because uh, she's pretty fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, who else? Now I can't. <laughs> Author? Uh, let's see. <laughs> um something fun oh i don't know how about i'd like uh, one of the bronte uh, jane yeah, eyre absolutely go oh into gosh. jane eyre yeah such a such a transformative i had a dream last night that i <clears throat> i have very do you do you remember your dreams oh yeah oh my god Some, i do too i really am so glad because you know so many of my friends and partners i've had have just been like oh no i don't really oh, and i just have these wild adventures yeah. <laughs> every night and i had one last night that i was trying to explain to my boyfriend this morning and i did a very poor job the best i could do and this may mean nothing to you but i i really felt like i was in like a danny boyle movie i felt <laughs> like it was like some doug millionaire or something these sort of epic strange kind of trippy but like very romantic and also contemporary worlds. It was a very strange dream, but it was, it's I love being able to wake up and go, good job brain. I know where that come from. Like, wow, that was in there. You know, and what I like about dream is when you, you can't, it's like, and then I was, you know, there's this transition that occurs and in your dream, it's a seamless transition, but in life you can't explain it. And to me, that is what I wish I could remember. What was the transition? Oh, that's that's the key great, thing, you know. Such a great that's the point. key thing that links that brought you from here to there. Yeah. And that's what I, you know, try to focus on is what was that? Because it just happens. It's so seamless in your dream. Yeah. And but when you go to tell, and then and then I was, you know, and yeah. you know, here, blah blah blah. <laughs> it really is amazing that your brain just accepts that, and mm-hmm. and uh, I think it, like in my most nerdy sci-fi fantasy. I want to believe, and I don't believe this, but it would be so amazing if like whatever you allow as reality in your dream was 
Like if you could suspend logic in the same way in your waking mm-hmm. life, oh, like what wow. if there's all this stuff happening that or could happen, but none of us have been conditioned to accept it, so we can't let it happen. Yes, but in our dreams, we're just like accepting of everything. You yes, know? And like yes. that's the sort of magical thinking. Speaking of Joan Didion, yeah. uh, magical thinking place that my head goes sometimes. Mm-hmm. I think. Are Are you aware of sometimes that you're dreaming? Yes. Me too. Oh, yeah. yeah right? Absolutely. Like, Especially, well, when I was little, I had night terrors. Oh. And so I had to kind of figure out how to wake myself up. Oh. So I think it comes from way back then. Because even oh. now, if I'm having a dream that's scary, mm-hmm. I actually can go, I need to wake up from this. And like, I can I can wake myself up. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Wow. You learned that as a kid. Yeah. That's... I mean, I don't know if it was a learn, you know, I guess it was learned by through, you know, traumatic. Yeah. <laughs> no, but experience. sorry about that. I didn't go least... to a class right. on how to, yeah, as a child. They Night terrors for three years old. Dream school. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Okay. Let's do um, a perennial favorite of mine. Three uh, foods that you can have uh, whenever you want in however much uh, quantity you want without any physical or health ramifications whatsoever could be very specific oh i know my first one uh white castles white castle hamburgers love it that's chicago i mean i can't imagine you're the first uh chicagoan to say that no 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 yeah (laughs) uh speaking of like wearing it like a uh, badge of honor yes yes part of it um enchiladas i don't know if i have to be that specific but no it's great no it's exactly what i have in mind perfect and then uh well no re- well this one's healthy though but let me think you want something that's not healthy i mean i guess it's better if it's like something not healthy. you couldn't indulge okay. in all the time yeah, yeah, yeah. but in this yeah. world you can okay do you have a sweet tooth oh god <laughs> anything chocolate yeah any, right. um yeah. What's your yeah? What's your what do you what do you, when you crave chocolate? What do you usually like? What is your sort of like? Okay, if I could pick anything, I would. Well, I always have, I always have a bag of those lint chocolates in my house. Yeah. You know, yeah. But, but that is it like so, a variety. Well, either right, the yeah. caramel or the just the creamy chocolate. But uh, you know, I guess just chocolate cake. Great with chocolate frosting. Yeah. I'm pretty boring, but no, it's fantastic. Please, this is like a food pornography for me. Um, okay, next one is going to be, listen, I'm going to get right into this. All due respect to your wonderful husband, whom I adore. <laughs> the mash game wouldn't be complete if I didn't ask you for three crushes. So oh. it's this sort of uh, alternate universe romance that you have with someone. It could be uh, someone current, could be someone age inappropriate for you now. Who cares? This is MASH. You could have a crush on a 20-year-old kid. I don't care. Or it could be, you know, uh, the 60s era Paul Newman. It could be, you know, oh, right. okay. uh, Butch Cassidy era, Robert Redford, etc. Okay. Well, my husband knows this one. Sam Shepard, oh, obviously. Yeah. God, he really is very sexy, isn't he? Yeah, he's very sexy. Uh, I don't know. Well, here's the problem. You know, you like their work, but you don't know them. Like I could say, well, this Sam Shepard, fantasy version. You're right. Yeah, this okay. is your version okay. of whoever you want I mean, this person be a, to be. Like I know. Dogs or I know. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, Robert Mitchum. I thought he was pretty adorable and wonderful, sexy back in the day. Yeah. Who's my? Th- I gotta come into this generation. Let's see. No need. I'm not uh, insisting on that. I think Sam Shepard's kind of an amazing choice. Who would my third one be? I can't even think of someone who. <laughs> well, I can, but I don't know that I want to go public on some of these. <laughs> oh, no. You're going to tell me offline. All right. Uh, let's see. The third one. Um, uh, mm, uh, 
you're killing me with this person that you won't say in no, 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 I'm, I'm so sorry to put you on the spot. I'm well, no, I sound like I have no, you know, like no sex drive. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's hard. Anything like this is very hard for me to be put on the spot about. Yeah, I don't do good with being put on the spot. Yeah. Uh, I was kind of dreading this mash game. Oh, <laughs> so far, no, so good. Okay, We're no, almost no. through. We're well, I know it's like no pass fail kind of, of thing. <laughs> okay, third one. Uh, oh, how about Luke Bryan? <laughs> oh, I don't know who that is. Who's Luke Bryan? He's a country singer. Oh, wonderful. Story songs. Gotta love the heart and soul of a good country <laughs> right, singer. Right. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. Uh, let's do three. Um, let's do three people, living or dead. And we kind of touched base, you know, touched in on this with John Didion, but three people, living or dead, um, but real people that you would love to, um, I did this with Sarah, uh, spend just an afternoon on a train. It's like you're, you've got two hours on a train to spend with someone who, who are the three people you'd be interested to spend those two hours with talking. You know, the, the, uh, the first one I just comes to mind. So Charlie Rose, I would love to talk to him. Great. He probably knows you could ask him anything. I bet. Yeah. Tell me really about blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, Second one, um, uh, uh, do you know the poet Mary Oliver? Yes. Mary Oliver. Her poetry is wonderful. Yeah. God, it's so interesting you would bring her up because she's one of the only contemporary poets that I've read more than two poems just speaks to you doesn't she she's really extraordinary guys honestly and truly and i know that i was joking about this maybe even with sarah we were joking about right the idea that poetry is not cool like it's just not cool the way in your if you're in a comedy world Mm -hmm. the way something else would be but Uh like mary oliver mary oliver oh she's just terrific god damn it she's great great choice charlie rose mary oliver i'm so on board with both of your choices i just need one more okay third one would be (laughs) um one of the Chilean miners. I mean, I can't great, think of anything great. interesting. What would that be like? Absolutely. You know, not knowing if to you're going to, you know, live or die. I couldn't agree go with, the, you know, am I out for Ooh. myself or with the group? Yeah. You know, yeah. physically, what was it like to not shower for a month? You know, yeah. I don't know. Oh, you're such a journalist. I love it. Um, No, these are those are great. Great, great, great. Okay, let's do uh, almost done three um, uh, skills that you wake up with tomorrow and you are immaculately fantastic at at, at them uh, and you didn't have to learn. It's just sort of downloaded into your brain. Computer skills. Great. Uh, You know, how how to not have to call my sons or Bob. Yeah. You know. (laughs) So that that would be probably one, two, and three. (laughs) How do I work the phone? How do I work? How do I turn the television set on? Because you guys put it on something else, you know, and I don't know how to get it back. So that would really would be one, two, or three. <laughs> I'm going to put these down. Because I'm going to put these down. You know down. why? Because Phone it's just going to get harder. And TV. I know. I really it's appreciate it. It's just going to get harder. I really appreciate uh, you saying so. that. Because I'm getting to the point where I'm that. But then I also realize, you know what? 
I was never great at that stuff. So I need to give myself a break. I think, and I've said this before, that a lot of the stuff I attribute to me getting older is mm-hmm. just stuff that I always was, was. never good at. That's and true. like, yeah. come on, age is a state of mind. I don't need to go like, well, I'm an yeah. old lady now. It's like, no, I, I was really stupid about right, that right, stuff when I was right, 10. Right, yeah. yeah. It's not a consequence yeah. of your I'm age. Give myself the excuse. Okay. Yeah. Final category will be um, three paintings that you wish you could own. Ooh, three paintings I wish I could own. Uh, well, I, I, do I have to know the names of them? No, okay. and even if you're just like, I would love to own a Rothko. <laughs> yeah, or whatever, yeah, yeah. But as someone okay. who was interested in painting, I assume that you would maybe um, have some fun favorites. I would like to own a Jackson Pollock because yeah. uh, I, you know. Uh, I used to make fun of him for a long time, and then one day it's just, I sort of got it. It's like, oh, you know what? I think I get him now. I really can relate uh, to that. You know, I felt that way about was, other artists. He was very easy to make fun of, you know? Yeah. But, and um, uh, I'm just going to pick big names that I know. You yeah, know, I think offhand. that's more fun for these guys. Okay, like, what if you I would Pablo Picasso, because that sure. guy, you know, you could own three paintings by him, and they would look like they were done by three different artists. Uh, Great we point. went and saw his the Pablo Picasso Museum in Paris, Bob and I went, and, and we, you know, you go through it, and it's just a retrospect. It's everything he's yeah. done. And we walked out there, and Bob said, man, that guy had some major mood swings. Because, <laughs> you know, he really explored every aspect. So you could say, anyway, one of his just to, you know, get into that. Absolutely. Just have you free up. Uh, Absolutely. You know? And so the third one would be... Um, Hmm. Uh, well, I just want to tell you real quick and give this very specific shout out to you, Marcy. You have the best humming and hawing sounds <laughs> while you're making a decision. To because sometimes, but when I go dead quiet and my uh, guest goes dead quiet, I worry that people will think there's something wrong with the track. <laughs> and uh, I feel there have been very few of those because between the two of us, there's a lot of like. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good it's very effective for the uses of this podcast yep um a painting is still i'm back on that now and it's funny because we go to art museums a lot i'm but gonna throw out some people say, what about like a uh, van gogh oh yeah that guy yes <laughs> <laughs> i went to his museum in yeah. in, in holland and yeah I still yeah. even that's that, a person yeah. who not to say like there are some people like sometimes I look at Monet and for some reason for me it doesn't, doesn't speak land. to you right? you know yeah. I'll be there and I'll be like I I get that he is yeah. a, one of the most world's famous you know artists and I uh-huh. just I appreciate it but I'm not impacted and then something like Van Gogh you know you see it in person and yeah. you're like yep 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 right this yeah. is still like this I is, get one, this like, guy. This yeah. is a very emotional experience uh-huh. for me you know when you think about how much, yeah, how poor he was and how he just laid on that paint. Oh, my uh, yeah, God. No, okay, yeah, no, okay, Van Gogh. Yeah. Okay, great. All Thank right. you for All right. helping Tell me. Tell me when to stop. Okay, stop. All right. Okay. How many times do I have to do this? Oh, no, that was it. Okay. That was it. It's oh, quick all and right. painless. All right, I'm going to pause this, do some very quick calculations, come back with your 100% guaranteed fictional MASH future. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. I was making a lot of uh, approving sounds while I was doing uh, the calculating for this mash because I feel very happy with many of the outcomes. Mm. Um, number one, uh, basically where I'm going to put, you know, mansion, apartment, shack, house, I'm going to go ahead and put that into the place where you are uh, taking your woodworking class and your time traveling. And so I want to let you know uh, that you do inhabit a shack. 
but it is in Denmark in the 50s. Okay. And I feel, having been to Denmark and Copenhagen, that even a shack is efficient and comfortable and wonderful. Because um, I really, ha- I did not see one thing in Copenhagen that I wasn't like, well, that's great. Yeah, it looks like it comes out of real simple. Oh my gosh, it really know? does. Everything is just immaculate yes. and it's so well thought through. So, and I'm very, and that would be my choice. So I'm very smug that you uh, would get to have that experience and see that wonderful uh, work happening. Um, and also just like the humility of the Danes, I'm so impressed mm. by. Like they know that they're doing extraordinary work. I think they're very confident people, but there's something very like, I, I remember even hearing or being told that it's not, you're not supposed to, oh, because of Noma, because of the restaurant Noma. Mm-hmm. He was saying that Denmark isn't the place where people peacock. Do you know what I mean? Mm, it's yes, not the uh-huh, place where you're like, uh-huh, hello, I'm uh-huh, the best at this. Uh-huh. And I sort of enjoy that like kind of quiet elegance about uh-huh. being a genius. So I'm very excited that you get to go there. I'm also very excited that you get to, uh, whenever you need to break from uh, the wordworking class that you're taking, that you can uh, go into the Heidi Hole. <laughs> so you can just tuck yourself right into that weeping willow. Um, I want to congratulate you on being a wonderful cook. Mm. When you are not feeling like cooking, however, rest assured, snap of the fingers, magically white castle <laughs> just appears right, right in front of you with no physical ramifications of right. any kind congrats i don't know if you want to share that with either your uh friend maybe bring a white castle on the train to uh have a nice conversation with mary oliver oh, right. but i'm very excited about that and uh one thing that you don't have to ask your uh fictional other world husband luke bryan oh god oh god <laughs> is how to work the computer because uh-huh. your computer skills are the best. Okay, good. The best. Better than the, they but people are coming to you for <laughs> advice on computers. Well, no, I don't want and, to be that good. <laughs> and uh, when you are when you're you, you're getting eye fatigue from staring at the computer screen, rest assured that you can look just turn your head and look over at your marvelous Jackson Pollock masterpiece Ooh, okay. hanging on the wall, Marcy Cristani. That is your 100% guaranteed fictitious wonderful future. Hey, I I'll I'll take it. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for doing the podcast. I want to encourage people to buy Halfway to Dead. Even saying the title makes me laugh, um, which is available through Amazon. Amazon. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, I want to thank everybody for, for listening. And uh, Thank you. I thank you for having me yeah, on. Listen, you're a badass, Marcy. That's just the end of it. Um, okay, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much. As always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com.